Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about pain meds during labor. We're going to talk about epidurals. We're going to talk about narcotics like Stadol and Demerol and laughing gas. So I'm not here to tell you ever how to birth, but what I am here to offer is the information for you to make an informed choice. And even within making choices, you also can change your mind and make other choices. We're just going to lay everything out and you can start to just wrap your head around all the different options. So to have this conversation... I have my pal. She's actually one of the mothers of my daughter's friends, and we've gotten to know each other, and she's fantastic. So Rachel Salem is a certified registered nurse anesthetist, and she's been doing this for over 10 years. She's received her nursing degree from the University of Delaware and completed her doctorate in nursing practices at Redgoon University. She delivers anesthesia in a variety of clinical settings, including the operating room and labor delivery, and she is dedicated to being an advocate for her patients and is humbled by the responsibility she holds in delivering safe and effective anesthesia care. And she lives in New Jersey, (laughs) pretty close to me, um, with her husband and her two children. And she's just an awesome, fantastic person. And so when she and I started talking about epidurals and walking epidurals and some of the misconception about that, I thought, I should get Rachel on the podcast. And she agreed. So this is that conversation. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Um, But before we get to that, just a reminder of what's going on at the studio. Oh, things are continuously moving and growing, which is exciting. More and more people are coming into class having heard about the studio from the podcast. So while you might be listening to the podcast, you may not know that I'm also the founder and director of Prenatal Yoga Center. And we have online pre and postnatal classes every single day online. So you can join us live stream. You can watch it later on your own time, or maybe you're going to come into the studio if you're in New York and take class together. We can. I would love when that happens, when I meet listeners face-to-face and get to know each other. So, or even Zoom face-to-face is pretty fantastic too. So check out our schedule if that is something that interests you. You can check out our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And then I recognize that not everyone can come to class. Maybe you just don't have the time. Maybe it's not something you're interested, but you still have some aches and pains you want to resolve. So I have a free downloadable for you. So maybe one day you wake up and your neck hurts or your back hurts and you just want a pretty quick fix. Go to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and download five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. And then you can print it out, stick it on your fridge. If something hurts, you go to it. It's your cheat sheet. It helps you feel better and hopefully pretty quickly. So also coming up, we have our last online teacher training coming up for January and February. And then if all the stars align, we're going to be back in the studio for March and April, and then September and October, and then back online for November and December of 2022. Gosh, that feels like forever. Ever from now. So if this is something that you're interested in, I will be fully uh, transparent that it's a very thorough training. 
those that listen to the podcast know I'm all about evidence-based. It's not woo-woo. It's not in that manner. It's thorough. It's enriching. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things to do is work with teachers and help them discover that passion that I know they have for teaching the perinatal community. So if that interests you doing our teacher training, again, check that from our website. And then the last thing that I want to say is we have been partnering with a company called Boober. Don't you love that name? And if you work, they help you provide uh, everything from lactation consultants to pre and postpartum doulas, uh, mental health therapists. They have all of this. So if you go to their website, getboober.com and use the code PYC, you get 10% off your first service. So that's pretty great. So that's it. We're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Deb. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm hiding in my basement right now um, because my kids are upstairs. And I was telling you earlier that when I told Sage that I was talking to you, she was on top of this. She's like, I got to talk to Evelyn, tell her mom I said hi. So I love that we can actually chat without our kids around. Oh, it's like, it's a total break. And as you said that, my dog came into the room like, oh, wait, you're on break. I'm going to come bother you. I love your dog. I love your dog. So for <laughs> listeners out there, they're like, what is going on? So I am so fortunate to know Rachel because our daughters are friends. They go to school together. Um, so it's so fun because she has a job that is quite interesting to me <laughs> as someone in the birth world. So we're going to talk to Rachel about anesthesiology. Woo-hoo! All right. So let's jump into... Tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you decided to go into labor and delivery anesthesiology. Okay. So I uh, worked as an ICU nurse for many, many years, uh, over eight years, and I made the decision to go back to school for anesthesia. Um, So now I am a certified registered nurse anesthetist or CRNA for short, Um. This graduate school program that I went through at Rutgers University, I was able to receive my doctorate in nurse anesthesia. It's an intense three-year program, and it focuses on delivering anesthesia in a variety of settings. Uh, Labor and delivery is one of those settings. So upon graduation, I took a job where I would have the opportunity to practice in all of these different anesthesia settings. Uh, just to work on my skills, my techniques. And now I currently work in operating room settings, delivering anesthesia, interventional radiology, cardiac cath lab, and also on the labor and delivery unit. So labor and delivery is fascinating. Uh, It's one of my favorite places to work. It's extremely challenging and a very unique experience because we're dealing with mothers and families and um, kind of this whole birth journey and experience, especially for new moms. It's, it's a very, very cool thing for me to watch as a mom myself. Um, so I love it there. It's actually, uh, fascinating and, and fantastic. And, um, I'm very happy there. Oh, I'm so glad. And I remember when it popped into my head that we should have this talk. It was when I think I was telling you about one of my students that had this whole idea about a walking epidural and you and I were like, yeah, that's not happening. So we're like, oh, that's cute. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll get to that. So I wanted to start with epidurals because I think that's what people are mainly aware of. So let's start from kind of the foundation of the beginning. Like how is an epidural given? 
Okay, so from the beginning, uh, the the anesthesiologist or CRNA is going to have to ask a variety of questions uh, about your health history, uh, your previous surgeries, if you had any complications during your pregnancy. And this is really because we want to deem the epidural procedure itself safe uh, for you. Uh, we'll also have you sign a consent form at that time. So a really important component of epidural placement is positioning, and that's when mom has the most important job because she is the one determining her positioning at that time. So we ask her to sit all the way to the side of the bed with her back at the edge. We ask her to place her head down and curve her back into a C-shape or a scared cat pose for everyone that does yoga. And really, this just allows the spaces in between the vertebrae to open up so that the epidural space is much easier for us to find. Um, so once we feel that mom's in a really good position, um, she'll feel us on her back. First, we'll use some cleaning solution so it's cold and wet. Um, then we'll be placing a plastic drape so she'll feel the sticky drape. And, you know, as most anesthesia providers do, we really talk all the moms through this just because we know that we're behind you. We know that this, we know that this is a scary and kind of new experience for you. So we want you to know everything that we're doing so you feel comfortable in that situation. Um, so the first thing that you're going to feel is a needle pinch. And really what this is, it's just a numbing medication that's distributed in the area of the skin where we'll be placing the epidural. So following that, we place an epidural needle in your back. And this should feel more like just pressure because now we've numbed that area of the skin. So once you feel that pressure, eventually the epidural is placed in the correct spot, and then you'll feel just like a cold sensation down your back. And that's just the medication that we're giving you going into your back. Um, we take out that uh, the catheter, and then we thread a very, very tiny plastic uh, catheter through the needle, and the needle comes out fully. So at the end of the entire epidural placement, all you have left is this tiny, tiny uh, catheter, which we tape to your back, and then you'll see the end of it where it's attached to a pump with uh, the epidural medication in your room. And really, we infuse that at a constant rate, and you should start to feel relief, typically within 15 minutes. Um, most moms, by the time that we're leaving the room, they're already thanking us because they feel so much better, and they can finally take a breath and take a little rest. That is great. So I, I mean, I've actually seen them. So I was like visualizing that as you were talking about it, <laughs> but it's great. Cause I think that helps people. I think one of the things that happens, whether it's a serian or an epidural or anything that we hear about, but we don't really know can feel scary and just demystifying and talking people through, I think can take some of that edge off. So one thing I want to talk about is timing. I've had a lot of conversations <laughs> with people about timing. So if it's not something that has to happen, happen right then and there. You know, I know people are going to need fluids. They're going to need that prep. You said it's about 15 minutes before things are really kicking in. What should people consider in sense of time, in the sense of timing when asking for an epidural? So typically once you ask for the epidural, you know, most of the time the nurses on the labor and delivery floor in general can anticipate when you're going to be asking for your epidural. If you're rolling through the door at like seven centimeters dilated, they're going to start the fluid right away because they know that you will most likely ask for an epidural. And the sooner that we can get in there, the better if you're progressing quickly. But 
it's important for us to have information. As I just mentioned, um, we need to make sure that it's safe for us to, to provide you with an epidural and perform that procedure. We need to know your lab work. So we need to know, especially your platelet count, just to make sure there's not an increased risk of you bleeding. Um, typically we can go back historically and make sure that those levels look okay, but that is something that some, uh, institutions require. Additionally, just like you mentioned, we will need to make sure that you have fluid on board. And that's really just because some women uh, can have a response to the epidural where their blood pressure decreases a little bit. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen uh, because sometimes that can affect the baby. So, you know, those things take some time. Um, and, but after that, once we have all your information, once we have consent, we do try to move as quickly as we can um, just to make sure that you're getting comfortable. But it it cannot be immediate. That is true. Yeah. I've actually, I tell people that not never to scare them, but when we're working in class and one of our main things that we do in prenatal yoga is we do work on relaxation technique and coping skills so that I can give people some of the tools to get them wherever they want. Some people know they want to wait till a certain point to get an epidural. Some people don't want it at all. Some people plan on it and it doesn't always work or some people plan on it and it may take longer. You know, it depends on how busy the hospital is. So I always remind them, it's not like you walk in the doors, you hand your insurance company and you're like, and here's my back. <laughs> like there's some right. steps to get there. Now on the other side of that, I, when I was back in my, my doula days, I've been with some clients that were fully dilated and they just weren't ready to push and they wanted to get an epidural and they were able to. So that, and they just wanted to break. So at what point in your place, do you consider do you consider it too late for someone to get an epidural? So really, as long as you can stay still so that we can safely place the epidural, we can give it um, and, and we can place it. Um, I think it's more a question of once the labor has progressed to the point where if 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 it's progressing so quickly where mom feels the need to push, or can't remain still for those 15 minutes that it takes to place the epidural, uh, that's when, you know, it's kind of too late at that point. And, um, you know, that's also something that they're going, they're going to be talking to their OB about or whoever's with them uh, for the birth about uh, as far as timing and if they feel that it's necessary at that point. So I'm glad you said that so that people don't feel like, okay, it's six centimeters. I got to get it now. It's my last chance. Like there are more opportunities. Okay. That's what. Absolutely. (laughs) We have many women who are like, I thought I wanted to do this without, but I don't now. Can I go back? And I said, yes, you can make changes. It's okay. Absolutely make changes in your plan. Maybe you want to get it. Maybe you don't, but yeah, I don't want people to feel like there is a often a big window. And like, if you're pushing, you're crowning. Although I actually was with somebody, this was forever ago. She, she started pushing and then everyone's just like, why don't we just take a break? Why don't you get some rest? It was a long pushing. It was one of the first that was long. And so she got an epidural and that actually helped everything relax a bit. So then she found pushing easier. So I just want to highlight that again. (laughs) And we we find that sometimes we actually will, um, you know, bolus the epidural and give mom a break, uh, when she's been pushing. And we find that everything just kind of, it helps everything kind of like fall and then baby 
relaxes, mom relaxes, and then the, and then it's, she's able to progress much more quickly. So the epidural is, is really beneficial in that way. Yeah. So I just want to get people out there know, unless that baby's crowning, yeah, <laughs> as long as you can go sit still, just stay still through a couple contractions. All right. So let's talk about the differences. We were kind of joking when we had, when this idea sparked in my head about the walking epidural. So let's talk about the difference between the combined or the AKA walking epidural and the standard epidural. What, what's the, the, how much movement can somebody get between the two and what is the difference in the cocktail of drugs? So, so a standard epidural is placed, as I mentioned, the, the catheter remains in that epidural space. So as I said, the epidural, you have a larger needle, you thread the catheter through that needle, and that stays in this epidural space. With this combined spinal epidural or a walking epidural, we're still finding that epidural space. So that entire sequence is the same with the epidural needle. But before we actually thread the catheter, we use a very tiny spinal needle uh, to find the subarachnoid space, which is basically where the the cerebrospinal fluid is, which is where we would do a regular spinal if you were having a C-section, for example. And we give a very small dose of medication into that space. And depending on the type of medication that we use, typically we use a, a narcotic of some type, like a fentanyl, for example. Um, and then we use a very low dose of the local anesthesia that we typically uh, would give. And that just gives a nice immediate relief. Uh, but typically you still have all of your motor sensations. So you can still move your legs really freely. You can still feel like you kind of have that like freedom of movement really. Um, but we can alter the types of medications that we give you even through the epidural. So when we use that technique, you're getting that small dose through the spinal. Um, but then we're also threading an epidural uh, catheter after we give you that small dose of medication through the spinal so that we can then dose the epidural catheter if you should need it. Some women, you know, we kind of wait, we give them just that little bit of spinal anesthetic and just give them a very low dose through the epidural and then go up on that epidural rate of medication if they need it later in their laboring process. So is one a heavier dose where they're having less mobility in their body? So with the epidural, sometimes women, you know, some women don't know how they're going to be affected by the epidural until you're kind of giving them the medication. Some women are definitely a little bit more sensitive than others. Um, and it also depends on if they're having a lot of pain and then we bolus the epidural or we give a larger dose through the epidural. Sometimes that dose of medication can decrease the movement that they had prior to getting that dose, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they were able to move, but they were super uncomfortable. So we dose them and now they can move less, um, but they feel more comfortable. Um, so it really just depends on, you know, what your goals are, how you feel with the medication that we're currently giving you. And then we can kind of tailor, uh, what we're bolusing or what we're giving you in addition. But, but most of the time, if we're doing a combined spinal epidural, we are using a lower dose through that spinal space, um, so that it's not such a dense block. Mm -hmm. It's more of just like a relieving block. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's have a conversation about the idea of walking with an epidural. (laughs) We're going to be right back. All right, so I feel like the name is misleading. (laughs) 
So can you, can you talk about that? So I've had conversations and I've had some people be like, Oh, up at Beth Israel in Boston, they do walk. I'm like, really? Because it seems to me, and this is just me speculating. So shut me up if I'm wrong, but it seems like it would be a bit of a liability that if somebody has a lack of full awareness of their, of their lower body and they're pregnant and they're laboring, they may fall. Or am I just totally making this up? No, you're not making it up. I would say, I, I mean, and, and I have only rotated through, I've rotated through several institutions and I work at two different institutions, both of which do not allow you to walk as long as anyone has put any needle in your back and given you any type of medication. It doesn't matter what we've given you. At that point, you have to stay in bed. Uh, and it really comes down to liability because if you were to fall or if you had any, um, you know, issues with, with proprioception and, and movement and balance, um, that becomes a real liability for you and your baby. Um, and, and our goal is to keep mom and baby safe yes. and comfortable. So that is our utmost goal. And I guess the way that we see it is if we can allow mom to move freely in bed mm-hmm. uh, and make her comfortable and give her the relief with, with the epidural or the combined spinal epidural, then that's where that's where we're gonna hang. We're yeah, not no, going to, to push it. <laughs> and then actually in a lot of the hospitals, the only place I'll be really transparent that I've worked in about five hospitals in New York City as a doula, not working for the hospitals, mm-hmm. but working as a doula for the couple within the hospitals. And some of them have the the little machine that has the medication is on the wall behind the bed. So right. there's no, some of them are on a, you know, a stand next to the bed, but some of them are on the wall. So there's just, you can't, move that. Um, but let's talk about there. You said there's different density that people have, so you can still have some mobility, like moving from side to side, Absolutely. but you're just, and you're not stuck. Like they have some mobility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Most of the moms, once they have the epidural, um, and this, and this would, you know, this is just with a basic epidural too. I'm not even talking about a combined spinal epidural, but with a basic epidural, most moms will still be able to turn themselves in bed, be able to change their positions, be able to push themselves up in bed, um, get to the side of the bed. They, they still do have a lot of mobility. It's just that we don't allow them to quote unquote walk. That's great. And I think that mobility is important because we know that if someone is just staying still for hours and hours, that is going to affect how baby descends into the pelvis and rotates. It might actually not give as much opportunity, which is why I love seeing peanut balls. Are you seeing peanut balls? Oh my gosh. I was just going to say, I can see they are. (laughs) I I, I have this like love affair with peanut balls. First of all, I think they're hilarious because they look like these humongous peanuts, but they're so (laughs) effective. I feel like ever since those have been introduced, it's just making the, the, the possibility of a more functional birth available to birthing folks. And that just makes me so happy. It's awesome. Yeah. So you're seeing them in your hospitals. That makes me oh my so gosh. happy. Yeah. I, I, it's like at the nurse's station all the time. They're like, they've been on the peanut for hours. I'm like, this is great. The peanut, you know, you just, right, so it's like a buzzword. Nurse- it is it's hilarious. Are the, are the nurses the ones in your institutions that are helping position people? Yes. Yeah, they are definitely um, in the room helping position patients, helping them to get comfortable, helping mom 
um, you know, their, their support system is there as well as like, as far as their spouse, but yes, the nurses oh, are sure. so happy. All right. So yeah. I do have a question. I don't, I hadn't seen this a ton. So if someone does not have an epidural already and they need a cesarean, what is the procedure for that? So are we speaking about, uh, like an emergency situation? I know. I was going to ask you both. So, okay. <laughs> so, and then you can also gently, um, explain the difference between an emergency and an unplanned cesarean. Okay. So if the cesarean is needed, um, and there is time to give a spinal anesthetic, this, this is really our, this is what everybody prefers, uh, is that we're, we give a spinal anesthesia. Um, so the spinal requires the same positioning as the epidural, but the block will be much more dense. So basically we bring mom into the OR. I had two of these. This is like very easy for me to speak of because I've been on both ends of it. And we bring mom in, we get her positioned on the operating room table. We give the injection through the spinal space. It works basically within five minutes. Um, mom lays down and they're already prepping her belly for the C-section. Um, and basically within eight minutes, we can have the baby out. Uh, you typically less than that too, depending on the OB. So we can work really, really quickly with the spinal anesthetic. Uh, and in that situation, mom would be awake for the entire procedure. Um, now, if, if this were a situation where we couldn't wait, uh, and we needed to emergently go to the, to the operating room for a cesarean section, then, uh, general anesthesia is, is sometimes the only choice. How often do you um, see that? Very, very rarely. That's what I thought. I mean, because eight very minutes, rarely. eight minutes is pretty, it's quick. Pretty good. I mean, granted, every, when it's a situation where baby's crashing or mom's crashing, I get that every second counts. Yes. But in general, eight minutes. If they, if they allow us, if, if the OB allows us the opportunity to, to go for a spinal, you know, that's, that's typically what we'll try. And again, this is different based on every institution, based on every OB's comfort, based on a lot of different things. Um, but, but we do see that if we can get the spinal in and get things moving quickly, um, typically we can have mom awake. But with that being said, if we can't get the spinal in and it's deemed an emergency, then, then general anesthesia is, is where we go. Yeah, out of the almost 20 years I've been doing this, I think I can count maybe, maybe 10 times at the most I've heard of clients coming back saying they had to have general. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's, very rare. it's pretty rare. In fact, it's probably closer to five. It's like only a few people springing to my mind that I yeah. heard that, which is good. We try, we try not to go down that avenue. Absolutely. But, but as we say, as we tell every mom, you know, what matters is that she's safe and baby's safe. And they leave the hospital and, and that's, that's what matters. Yes. So that's, that's what we look for. So before we shift away from epidurals and we head to more talk conversations about narcotics, is there anything that I didn't ask about epidurals that you think it's important to share with the community? Um, I think we hit on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would just say, as I mentioned before, every woman responds differently, differently to the epidural. Um, some women can be a little bit more sensitive. I think, you know, I would mention that some women can, their blood pressure can get a little bit low at times. So if you notice that, you know, you just had the epidural placed 
and you're feeling really comfortable. And then all of a sudden the nurse comes in the room and says, Oh, you know, baby's, baby's acting a little differently. Um, and they may ask you to just change your position. Sometimes it can just kind of be that little bit of fluctuation in your blood pressure. And then once they reposition you to a better place, uh, baby kind of gets happy again. So if that ever happens, don't, don't get worried. Um, this is something that we see every once in a while after an epidural placement. What about how often do you see epidural headaches? That's pretty rare. That's good. Um, yeah, we don't see that a whole lot. And, um, like fever and shivering. I remember shivering from having some of my clients have an epidural. So that can happen sometimes too. Some patients are just pretty, um, they can be a little bit more sensitive to the anesthetics. Uh, I would also just say that, you know, all of us women going through the birthing process, and I know you know this too, just all of that kind of, especially in an emergency situation or if, if, yeah, if something's, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot of sympathetic nervous system, there's yeah. a lot of hormone and it's just a lot mm-hmm. and your body can kind of respond in, in unusual ways sometimes. And that shaking is, is kind of part of it. Yeah. And even though I've had clients and I remember myself after my first, I, my, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have any pain in cushion because I was at home, but I was literally like, my body was shivering, like yeah. shaking, shaking. And that was just like, and I was so surprised, like what's going on here. And I remember the first time I had a client, she's like, I didn't have, I, I'm not cold and I didn't have any drugs. What's going on? And that was just her body's response. Yeah. So I'm glad I that mean, we're kind of getting all that out. So people, if they're shivering, yeah. shaking normal, all right, it's an intense experience. <laughs> no matter how a baby comes out, Exactly. No matter how it's born, it's an intense experience. So let's switch to narcotics, um, like Stadol and Demerol. And I'll be fully honest, I've only seen two clients have, I believe it was Demerol. I actually don't remember. Um, so let's talk about the pros and cons of this type of pain relief. So this, we really don't, we don't do a lot of this in our institution, um, so we do not uh, typically give Demerol, for example. We'll give Demerol for shivering, like postoperatively, but it's not something that we typically give uh, in in labor and delivery. Um, occasionally, we'll see moms getting like Nubain uh, or certain drugs like that, but we're not we're not routinely giving opioid narcotics. Um, it's just not something that I'm seeing in the institutions where we're in. That's, that doesn't mean that they're not there. Uh, it's just not typical, I would say. What are some of the pros and cons of them? If some, so, if an institution does have them. So, you know, it's going to, it could have a more systemic effect. So, so this is a, a systemic drug. So it's going to go through the IV. So there's a higher dose or concentration of the drug that could be going to the fetus depending on, on the type of medication that's given. Um, and it could make mom feel a certain way too. So, you know, a lot of opioid medications can make you feel extremely tired. They can make you nauseous, um, kind of those systemic side effects that we can avoid with the neuro, compared to the neuroaxial, like epidurals, spinals, um, that don't have those same systemic effects. And some of the research I did said that there's a higher uh, resuscitation rate for the baby with, yes. with those. 
Exactly. And that's, and that's really because you're giving the drug and it's going systemically. So it has the ability to cross. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we're just covering our bases. No judgment. We're just covering our bases. Okay. (laughs) We're going to take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about nitrous nitrous oxide because I'm very fascinated about that. Okay. We'll be right back. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about nitrous oxide because I know that it's used a lot abroad. And I know that in New York City, it was used at Metropolitan, and for a little bit, I think it was used at Loma, Lower Manhattan, but I don't, I didn't see it very much, and I know in other parts of the country it's used. So tell me what you know about nitrous oxide and the pros and cons. So again, I, we've heard a lot of talking about this. Um, you know, we talk about it in our department. We, I have read about it being used in Europe. Um, and some of the research that's been going around about it. Um, but this is, this is not happening, uh, in our institutions. That is for sure. Um, I know it's a great adjunct. Um, overall though, nitrous oxide is not a very strong analgesic. So it's not really going to take away pain, but it might help to decrease some of that in the anxiety in order to make the pain feel more tolerable. If that makes sense, it's yeah. kind of like taking, taking it's the g- edge off. Yeah. It's given some of the, is it helping with like the endorphins or? Yeah. Yeah. And which is, is something. So if you have the oxytocin going and then your brain's like, great, I love my oxytocin, then it squirts out endorphins. If it's mm-hmm. taking some of that edge off, it's, is it almost the same? I mean, again, I haven't used it personally. I don't know much about it. So I think of like the tens machine where you have that stimulation at the lower back or. Okay. Like something like that. Is it kind of just taking the edge off that way? Probably. (laughs) I mean, it's like I said, it's for every patient, it's going to be a little bit different, you know, so I can't give you a hundred percent, but it's, it's not going to give you the same, um, analgesia as, as the other medications would. Some people might just need just a little bit of an edge taken off and then they have other coping skills. I think that there's a place for it. I definitely think that there's a place for it. Um, the only, I would say some of the, the downfall is that ha- has to be administered via face mask. Yes. Which for some patients, some mothers, I don't know if that's something that they would like, um, may not be that comfortable. And again, you may not be able, you can't walk or move around while you're receiving it. So it's kind of more of like an intermittent type of, of treatment. Yeah. So it could be the kind of thing where you use a little bit and then you can move around and then you come back and use it. So you, I guess the pros are you have mobility and it's not continuous. So you can come back to it when needed. Yes. I'm I'm hypothesizing here. Yes. Like I said, we don't have a policy for it in a hospital. So it's, it's sort of. Okay. Well, I love that we just know we have all these options so that when people are thinking about their birth preferences, it's not a right or wrong thing, but people can educate themselves about what choices they want for them. And then I always think it's important to know all of the options. So maybe you're planning your birth in one direction and then you don't go in that direction. Or maybe you're planning on having an epidural, but maybe it doesn't always work. Isn't it? Am I correct? About 10% don't always work. Yes. So then we have tools in case that's, you know, it's all about preparation and support. That's where I kind of keep coming back to. Absolutely. Is there anything that I didn't ask about all of these options? 
No, you did a great job, actually. <laughs> I like Have you done message. this for a while or what? <laughs> <laughs> a year or two. <laughs> it's just my most of my adult life. All right. So, so you not only do you have a, an amazing career supporting pregnant folks, but you're also a mom. So what is one tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new or expectant parents? Oh, just one. Um, I mean, I think you actually, I think you actually led into it really nicely when you talked about, you know, understanding that there's options and basically going in with a plan, but being ready for that plan to change. And I would say that that is really where my advice lies in, in coming to the hospital, getting ready to, to meet your baby and also coming home and being a new parent. Children really learn to make you humble, uh, with your control over things. And, um, and I think that being a mom makes you roll with the punches, uh, from the minute that you have your baby and you go through the entire laboring and birth process, you just kind of find this other side to you that you never knew you had, uh, where you, you just roll with it and you rise above it and, and you do what you can. And, and I would say that that same thing happens now. My daughter's seven and a half and I still feel like I'm just learning as I go and growing with her and growing as a mom. And it's just important to really, uh, be gentle to yourself, be kind to yourself, and also to acknowledge how strong you are as a mom, um, in, in all the different ways. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Can I ask a follow-up question? Cause you have another child. So what did of you, <laughs> so I love that you talked about the humbling. Oh gosh, have my kids humbled me and broken me down at times. <laughs> so <laughs> when you had your second, was there, how did you feel about that experience? Did you feel a little bit more grounded with coming into that? I did. Uh, I did. And I think, yeah, I think that, like I said, I, I think you, you're kinder to yourself. And I think that that second time around, I definitely gave myself a lot more grace than I did with my daughter. I, I realized that, you know, when you're going through it for the first time, you just think it's that, so, it that you're doing everything wrong. <laughs> I know? still feel like that, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> but then with the second, you're like, okay, I, I know that this stage will end. I know that this isn't like this forever and this will end. And, and I know I got through it the first time and I know I can get through it this time. So you definitely go into it with a different, a different set of skills and, um, and feelings towards the entire thing. Um, and the reason but, I asked that is because I know there's going to be second time parents out there that are either pregnant now or just having their baby and they're like, okay, here we go again. But then recognizing that, giving yourself grace. And then hopefully those having their first journey also just reminding themselves, give yourself grace, let it, allow it to humble you and roll with the punches. Thousand percent. It's, it's the name of the game. <laughs> yeah. And I think it will continue forever. My husband and I were just having, Joey and I were just having this conversation of like, we thought it would get easier as they get older, but it just gets different. It's always, yes, just like birth. It's always an ebb and flow. Like I think that is the perfect start, no matter how it starts, into this recognition of non-attachment of specific ideas. 
I totally agree. And I read something the other day that was basically like, you know, when you were a kid, you thought your parents were, were just like who they are. And now that you're a parent, you realize that your parents were also growing along with you. Yeah. And I was like, that is the truth. I, yeah. I feel that I am growing right along with my child as a mother. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. Oh, I've had <laughs> so much fun talking to you, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be a part this. of it. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.